Have you ever had a dream that that you um you had you'd you'd would you could you you do with yes. you want you could do so you do you could. <laughs> Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. I'm Justin. And today we are here to talk about the best week of the year, our holy feast day, the high holy day, the holy week, the Florida or Georgia-Florida game week, the Florida game week. And we are here to preview the game and talk crap. And I am keeping it PG for now, but... If you want to listen to, uh, if you want to get on the Patreon for only one episode, this is the episode to be on for. This is the one. This is this is your. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you if you want to game the system that this is the system you want to game for. So, how are we? How are we feeling? Oh, oh, buddy, feeling pretty good. Yeah, feeling all right. I'm a little sore. You know, I took the gay. You know, took my bye week to do some math happen, and now my body is upset with me. Our beautiful athlete, our 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 top. You know, one percent in the world, freak of nature athlete Justin did the ath half this year very quickly. Is that what I am? Who said that about me? Well, uh, Peter looked up your time in the car on the website today and was very impressed. So I don't remember what it was. Peter was way faster though. Peter was like fourteen minutes faster than I was, which is wild. Well, Peter is a, a robot, so yes, that's correct. He's not a human being, so it's not really fair. That's why, yeah. So, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's my first half half. Had a good time. Good. What'd you do with your time? I had a sort of family-oriented weekend. I spent a lot of time with my mom. I did some cleaning around the house, worked with my wife to sort of, uh, you know, get the, get, get the home front covered, right? Did some maintenance, went back, practiced some tackling, went back, looked, looked back through our tape, <laughs> reviewed some tape on, on, you know, myself as a husband and a teacher and a cat dad. And really just, you know, we just got back to basics is really what we did. We're, we're just trying to, we're just trying to win one step at a time. And that, that's, that was, that was last weekend for us. Nathan really took this entire weekend to study up all of his, uh, his buzzwords so he could bring them, he could be ready. He could be ready for this one. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, we're, we're just out here trying to establish the run and that's what we did over the weekend. We established the run. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, we got in there and, you know, we just ran our bread and butter and that was, we, you know, I told I told Samantha before last weekend that you know who we are as a team is enough, and if we just go out there and win every play, then the, you know the results will follow. And here we are. I would be—that's a fair assessment. I would be a shockingly incompetent coach. All right, let's talk about this <laughs> game. Uh, do you want to? Let's start with some. Let's start with some historical background. You ready for the Winsipedia? Ah, uh, yes. The Winsipedia data dump. The history. I am happy to say. Oh yes, the history of these two. I'm happy to say that Georgia currently win is leading this series 52 to 44 with two ties. Florida, of course, is on a one-game win streak because of last year's result that will not be named. The largest margin of victory in the series is 75 to nothing, which was 1942 by Georgia. The largest win streak, there are two tied at seven years. From 1941 to 1948, Georgia won seven times in a row. And from 1990 to 1996, Florida won seven times in a row. Not shocking considering what Florida was doing at the time. Let's see. In terms of historical, in terms of historical records, this is a pretty even matchup. UGA has a, let's see, more all-time wins, a better all-time winning position, uh, winning 
percentage. They have one less national championship than Florida. Florida has three, Georgia has two. Georgia has 14 more conference championships, uh, 10 more bowl games. Sorry, they have uh, six more conference championships, 10 more bowl games. Let's see, about 100, uh, actually 99 more wins, uh, a better bowl record, and more consensus All-Americans. They have, Georgia has one fewer Heisman winner than Florida. And then in terms of like NFL draft picks and AP poll crap that I don't care about, Florida is also winning. So uh, that is the series history. Of course, you know, if you want to talk about it in big arcs, this was a series that Georgia really dominated like all the way through the 90s. Uh, you know, in when we get into the Ray Goff, uh, Steve Spurrier era, that is when Georgia really starts to fall off a little bit and Steve Spurrier starts doing Steve Spurrier stuff where he, you know, wins a bunch of national titles and has a couple of Heisman Trophy winners and reels off a few. Georgia sort of from the Steve Spurrier era really didn't get things right in this rivalry mm-hmm. until Kirby Smart came in. Uh, I, you know, Mark Rick didn't get fired because of the Florida game. I mean, but it didn't help. And one of the things that Mark Rick could never do consistently was beat Florida when he needed to. So that has obviously changed. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think right now Kirby Smart has a three and one record against Florida. I think is that right? Is it three and one? I'm fairly certain. Um, <laughs> I think that's right. And yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty pretty sure. And you know, Dan Mullen, Portal Master, QB Whisperer, has the one win to his name in a nine and four season with the school's best offense in its history. So we'll give it to him. So anything else you want to talk about the, uh, in terms of the series history? Uh, no, not really. We can dig right into some, uh, some news kind of going on. Uh, yeah, you no, know, it's been a, a pretty slow week. I would say other than, um, the fact that if you have been paying attention, uh, Paul Feinbaum actually likes us this year, which I think is pretty fantastic. Uh, not really. I don't watch a lot of Paul Feinbaum TV. You know, in the past, he was just kind of overly critical. I felt a lot of times of Georgia and very much poo-pooed upon you know mm-hmm. the Georgia Bulldogs football team. But this year, it seems like he has nothing but good things to say, which I think is pretty hilarious. Uh, you know, are you a Feinbaum head, Paul head, Feinhead? No, I'm not. I, I one of the fans. <laughs> I think I think Paul Feinbaum is fine. I don't really Paul Fanbaum. I think the I think the thing that you can do to Paul Feinbaum to piss him off the most is say that he's fine and neither be angry nor happy with him. So that's how what I think about him. I, I mean, I genuinely just don't really give a crap about him. I mean, yeah, Drive Time Radio has its sort of place in the world, and there are times when you know it's nice to listen to it. I I, I like the dumb talking season stuff coming into the season. Mm-hmm. I like the June and July talking season BS. That's fun. It reminds me that mm-hmm. of how stupid the SEC is and why I love it. <laughs> in the season when there are actual games, I mean, Paul Feinbaum is like the antimatter to Chapel Bell Curves Matter, right? Like oh, 100%. He isn't the reason that we started this podcast, but it is the reason, I mean, like things like what he does in terms of, you know, narratives driven by sort of narrative structures that we're used to from fiction and you know, recency bias and bandwagon fallacies and false cause fallacies. Like, I mean, he he is sort of like the synthesis of all of the things that we rail against here, sort of from a philosophical, um, from a philosophical standpoint. I think that, you know, I don't know that that's really Paul Feinbaum's fault. Like, 
and there was a time when Paul Feinbaum was like a pretty straight up like Mm-mm. beat reporter or whatever. And that's just not who he is right now. And listen, if you paid me several million dollars a year, I would have no integrity either. So like, I'm not knocking it. And I'm not even saying he doesn't have integrity. I would make, I would make way more of a fool of him of myself than, than he does of himself for that much money. So like, you know, get your bag. That's, I, I respect it. Um, hmm. And I also think, you know, a lot of the prop that a problem that I have with Paul Feinbaum is his callers, right? Because that's really the core of the show. Uh-huh. And they tend to be just universally stupid. And I think whether or not you like them to some extent, <laughs> whether or not you like Paul Feinbaum, to some extent comes down to whether or not you're willing to like be in the moment and think it's hilarious how dumb his fans are, right? And I don't think that's hilarious. Uh-huh. Yep. I was fully loaded to to give you like a Paul and different bomb, you know, in the the same kind of vein as, you know, Tank Bigsby. Yeah. Paul Paul he's fine bomb. Uh Jeep Mediums B, but you gave us a whole Paul he's fine bomb. Paul he's he is what he is bomb. Yeah. Paul antimatter bomb. Uh injury update for Georgia. Things going on. Uh with the two weeks out from Kentucky, you know, it looks pretty much the same as we saw before. You know, uh Kirby had a media day this week and What's pretty awful for the media that is uh, this year is that he's only really had, he's had, I believe, three open practices all year. And so what we hear at Media Day is what we know about the team in between games. And so uh, word is currently that uh, JT Daniels is still doing pretty much the same thing. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's throwing and he's pain-free. And it came down to, and I think you'll talk a little bit about this in a minute, um, it, it comes down to practice, is what we're being told. And it seems like everybody at Media Day had a question for Kirby about the quarterbacks. Uh, but other than quarterbacks, there are other teams, uh, other, other players on the team, uh, but the media would, would want you to believe otherwise. But um, players that are out, most likely, Kendall Milton, still out. Uh, Blaylock and Pickens, still out. N'Kobe Dean is fine. He is in. He suffered a, a small injury. Um, Burton is probable. Rosemary Jackson is still probable as well. Uh, Kiaris Jackson, Jamari Sawyer, Donald Washington, we should see more play from them, which is very exciting, which this is the game that I would hope to see more play from them uh, because following this one, do we do we clinch the SEC East with this? Like it's done? There is a scenario wherein we can. I believe that Kentucky needs mm-hmm. to lose. Okay. But it, we, we don't totally clinch it, but we make it way more likely. Yeah, okay. And then past those fellas, Chris Smith, Amir Speed, Kenny McIntosh, they are also still working through some minor injuries, but uh, they may, they could see very limited play, or they could see like fully head-on, hundred percent play. Depends on how the rest of the week turns out for them, I think. Uh, but are, are there anybody, anybody in there that you're surprised about, expecting differently? What are you thinking? Um, I think that Burton and Rosemary Jack Saint are pretty much in. I would not be mm-hmm. shocked to see. I, I think Kenny McIntosh. I'm not sure about Chris Smith. I know could have played at Auburn if we needed him. So I suspect that he will be sort of a decision based on progress, like in terms of, apparently the plan in Kentucky was that if he was needed in the dime package, they were going to send him out as the dime nickelback or the dime back. And so they didn't ever need to go to dime, so they didn't use him, which lets me feel, which makes me feel like he's probably okay. I'm not sure that he'll start, but I'm pretty sure we'll see him. Amir Speed, it seems like the prognosis is pretty good. Kenny McIntosh, maybe not as much, has some kind of, I think lower body injury. I'm not sure what though. I I would be pretty surprised if we didn't see Chris Smith. I mean, I think at this point the only reason to have any real uh, concerns or misgivings about him is that s- simply that he is, you know, he's a heavy hitter and a shoulder injury can be something that's really easily aggra- aggravated by someone who lays wood the way he does. But I, I I suspect that we'll see him. I think 
you know, I mean, is this when we want to talk about the quarterback issue or do we have a, do we have an ask CBC question about the quarterbacks or do we want to talk about the quarterback situation now? We have a, uh, we have a quarterback situ- situation, a quarterback situation, a uh, quarterback situation alert. No, we had one question through ask CBC come in from fellow podcast or Jim Wood. Uh, that we can kind of prompt this with. Jim Wood asked, removing the eye test and looking at the numbers only, who has been a better quarterback at Georgia, JT or Stetson? Yeah, so if you'll just give me one second to pull up their cumulative stats. Yeah. So I don't actually have, I don't have advanced stats, but I can get them. Give me a second. But if we look at passing, right, Stetson in six game played, he has a 210 rating, 57 completions on 82 attempts. Two picks, 11 touchdowns, 996 yards, uh, long of 89, average per game, 166. In three games, JT Daniels played, he has a 160 rating, QB rating, uh, 54 completions on 71 attempts, 76 uh, completion percentage versus, I, I didn't say Stetson has 69% completion percentage. Nice. 567 yards, five touchdowns. Two interceptions, long of 43, average of 189 per game. If we look at, so, it, I mean, in that sense, if we're just looking at like completion percentage, you would probably slightly favor JT. Uh, to this point in the season, over a larger sample size, Stetson has done a better job of, uh, of, can, of keeping the ball out of harm's way, just in terms of only having two picks over 82 attempts. However, you know, even what I think is pretty telling is that Stetson has 82 attempts over six games and JT Daniels had 71 attempts over three games. And I kind of think that tells you what the coaches think about these two quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. You know, and some of that is situationally dictated, but I, I, I think that pretty much any way that you slice it, Stetson has a lower ceiling than, I mean, like everyone's like, okay, but who's better? And it's like, well, that's not really the question. It's like what the question I think that's important is like, what kind of quarterback do you want? Do you want a, a quarterback with yeah. a, a higher floor, but a lower ceiling, or do you want the highest ceiling possible? And that, and I think that's really the question of, and it's just who they are comfortable with. Now, if we want to look at a little bit more advanced stats in terms of QBR, let me see where I can find here. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I don't know that either of these guys actually have enough stats 20, yeah, 20 plays a game. Since neither of these guys have started the whole time, neither of these guys have QBR, QBR stats right now. So we can't give that mm-hmm. comparison. Let's see. We can look at EPA added. Uh, just really great audio right now. Me just, t- me just typing. So if, if you want to... This is very good. This is the stuff. You know, hit, give it, hit us with a click here. I, I will say, um, one of my favorite things uh, I was kind of looking into just uh, what is a QB situation? And, you know, is Florida ever going to have a QB situation? And so I, you know, I went browsing through their roster. And, you know, um, one thing I found out about uh, Florida's QB room, it is more of like a, like a QB like apartment complex, I would have to say. Like, you know, Georgia has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight QBs on the roster, which all of them, save maybe one are all quarterbacks that whose names you've heard Florida Gator do you want to guess how many quarterbacks are on the Florida Gators roster I don't know is it like 10 oh buddy it's 19 Jesus Christ <laughs> what do you do with all those guys what do they all do <laughs> I, I I mean they always say Dan Mullen is the QB whisperer but I didn't know that he was taking it really literally as the as in like I'm like the horse whisperer and I have to have a herd of quarterbacks 
He's the guy, he's like the Pied Piper of quarterbacks. He walks up to one of them and like whispers in the ear and like strokes the side of their helmet or whatever. Like he's freaking, <laughs> he's the, the actual literal horse whisperer. He keeps sugar cubes in his pocket for all of the yeah, QBs that follow him, him around. It's just Scarlett Johansson just and Robert Redford just out there with Emory Jones whispering into their into his ear. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, like to answer your question about who is better, I think that's a pretty subjective question and that we don't really have. The problem is even with like EPA added, I'm sure that we could look at EPA added if I had taken the time and not been an idiot about it. But I think that, I mean, I think demonstrably by just about any, like right now, the question is like, if you had to win one game gun to your head and you didn't know anything about the opponent, you didn't know anything about your team, not like, oh, you have a really good defense, you have a good running game, and you know Stetson can do for, do it for you. But if you had to win one game and you didn't know anything else about the situation, who are you picking? I mean, I think it's JT Daniels. I mean, I I, I don't... Yeah. He, he has a much higher ceiling. I don't know that his floor is really lower. I mean, he can't run. And so that's like an element, I guess, strategically that you you lose if you if you start him. But I... It's like we, we had 10 weeks of competition in fall and spring camps to see who was the better quarterback, and it was JT Daniels. Mm-hmm. Now, certainly, I understand that maybe they will continue and start Stetson. I might even predict that they would continue and start Stetson just because of you know college football coaches' inherently conservative nature, small Steve conservative nature. But if the question is who is the better quarterback, it's like, guys, like let's not get it twisted. I think we're all kind of like, has Stetson Bennett gotten better? Yes. Is Stetson capable of maybe winning the SEC championship? Sure. I don't know. Weirder things have happened, right? But, like, let's not pretend that both of these quarterbacks are possible NFL draft picks, right? I know that JT is probably not at the top of anybody's board right now because of all the time he's missed. But, like, like Stetson Bennett is a great guy. But in, like, 24 months, he's going to be selling insurance. And great. Good for him. He play, He balls harder than I will ever. And that's fine, right? But it's like, let's not just – I love him. And if he starts on Saturday, I'll be the first one to yell for him. And I think that he can beat Florida. But, like, I who the – what the hell are we talking about here? Like, I don't even <laughs> – I don't even really have a rant prepared for this. I just don't – has Stetson Bennett gotten better? Sure. Is all uh, – I feel like every time people look up a bunch of stats about how Stetson Vincent done, have done better and they pull up film about how Stetson Bennett's done better, inherently they they are just – falling prey to this Western narrative bullshit, this Western literature narrative bullshit about like the underdog. And it just doesn't, what are we doing here, guys? What I mean, and Alexander wept because there were no more takes to have because fucking what is happening <laughs> when we're arguing about who has more talent between Stetson Bennett, a dude with a plug who was probably going to be selling Allstate in like fucking Blairsville in two years and JT Daniels who could play in the NFL. What the hell is ha- Am I going crazy? Anyway. Blairsville's nice. It is. I, That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh my god! I don't even probably not far from where you grew up. Yeah, I, I, I don't look. I'm not even making an argument for Stetson Bennett to not start. If you feel like you have a better chance to win the game with Stetson Bennett, or he's practicing better, start him. That's great. But if we're having an argument about like who is the better quarterback, it's like I don't like the NFL draft complex, and I think they're wrong a lot. But like, what are we? What's going on here? <laughs> 
What are we doing, guys? Stetson Bennett looks like my mom, like a very athletic version of my mom with a mustache. And she's a 55-year-old white woman. What are we doing? <laughs> Christ, the fucking cross. I've met your mother before, and now I cannot picture her in my head without thinking of Stetson Bennett. <sighs> nope. She does not use mouth tobacco, I just want to say for the record. Not today, not never. Do You do have, uh, <laughs> following that rant, do you actually want to read through this quote you have, who I assume, is this, is this a Dan Mullen quote? I, I was, I was going to try to save the Florida rant for like when we actually made predictions. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know if I can read this. I, I think I can get through it because I got a lot of that rant energy out in the Stetson Bennett rant. Oh, yeah. So they were asking Dan Mullen about his quarterback situation. Context for this is that Anthony Richardson is unequivocally a higher ceiling guy, but younger than Emory Jones. Emory Jones. Mm-hmm. But then he has 18 other quarterbacks, too. <laughs> Let's remember. <laughs> yeah, he, he has many to choose from. He has a whole fleet of them. Emory Jones, who <laughs> is more experienced, has had some really freshman-like mess-ups. You know, just like bad interceptions, bad turnovers, took some bad sacks, like just not a great, like not very aware of the game sometimes. Uh, and so people have been asking why Anthony Richardson, a five-star freshman, has not been starting. And, you know, I mean, I understand at the beginning of the year, I think a lot of it, and Dan Mullen has said this much, is that, you know, he's not consistent, he doesn't look good in practice, blah, 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 blah. So they asked him that this week about who's going to start because Anthony Richardson came in during the LSU loss and, well, he threw a pick that sealed the loss for, uh, for the game. But he also looked good at times. So this was the quote that, uh, and then they asked him after that, they asked him about, Oh, what did he think about, you know, if UGA starts JT Daniels versus Stetson Bennett? Like, who, who present, like, how, how do you game plan against them differently? And he said, and this is the direct quote, I'm going to read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have they named a starting quarterback? I mean, I can't. That's shocking. Yeah, it's their number one deal, right? Uh, who their starter is is much bigger than ours. They're the number one team. So I'm shocked that anybody even can look at it, at it, our situation. But they have two quarterbacks that they know that you know manage the game very, very well. You know, and by that, they give them into the right read to run checks, make plays, and then they are able to distribute the ball down the field to playmakers really well. But I do think a lot of it starts off the run game and their ability to physically run the ball and create matchups with athletes on the outside. And then, you know, I've, I've seen both of their quarterbacks do a great job when they do that. When you give them matchups, they're going to take advantage of it. Justin, I. <laughs> <laughs> There's a word for managing the game by creating matchups in your in your skill position players and running the ball mm-hmm. in order to open the open up the offense downfield there's a word for running checks and getting into the right read and making sure that your playmakers on the right are on the right side of the field it's called running a fucking offense justin <laughs> that it's called modern <laughs> offense what the f- what I just flames, like, fucking on my face. Like, I don't even, Justin, like, this is the most asinine shit. And, like, I get it. Dan Mullen has X-Pac heat. Dan Mullen is a wrestling heel Mm -hmm. who thinks that everyone's booing him because he's doing a good job. And they're actually booing him because he's a small dick piece of shit. And I get that, right? And that's fine. We take that as a given around here. Everybody knows mm. that Dan Mullen is a little crybaby who likes to pee and likes the way pee feels when it goes down his pants. Everybody knows that about Dan Mullen, and it's <laughs> fine. And we don't even have to talk about, right, that Dan Mullen is the kind of guy that pees because he likes the feeling of it when it soaks into his pants. That's correct. We don't have to talk about that. But it's like, listen, man, like, 
you're two quarterbacks and your your like QB whisperer system had like produced two two game losing interceptions somehow. Somehow Florida lost the game to LSU twice on two consecutive possessions, on two consecutive interceptions with different quarterbacks. Like I don't manage the game, the the gall of this guy. Like does he think that this is shifting blame? Does he think that he's like, oh, y'all should be talking about theirs? And I get that it's coach speak. And I get that, you know, Dan Mullen's little piss baby likes the feel of peeing his pants. And that's why he does it so much. I get that. But it's just like, what? And it's like, I'm not saying that that's true because I don't want to get sued. But I'm saying that we around here take it as a given. Not that we think it's true. But, you know, no. if Dan Mullen was the kind of piss baby that peed his pants all the time, he would do it because he liked the feel of it, right? I'm not saying that it's true. I'm just saying yeah. if that were the case, right, not legally, like, of course, there's nothing actionable about that. I'm not actually saying mm-hmm. that Dan Mullen is never did is a piss baby who likes the feel of how it feels when he pees his pants. But if he did, then he would, you know? Only then. So. <laughs> I just... This this is incoherent. I award you zero points. Uh huh. May God have mercy on your soul. That wasn't even the rant I thought about. All right. <laughs> this this very much reminds me of like this week's like. Have you ever had a dream that that you um you had you'd you'd would you could you you do with yes you, want, you could do so you do you could <laughs> that award goes to Dan Mullen this week. Great job, Dan. Congratulations. Somehow my rant about your incoherent thing was more in, was mo, more coherent than your incoherent thing. And that's sad because mm-hmm. usually my rants are not very coherent, right? So it's like you should feel ashamed for that. Then this is we're not even into the show yet. This is really still just the beginning. All right. Let's 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 talk about let's preview this game, huh? <laughs> what do we know about Florida, Nathan? <laughs> what do we know about this unranked Florida team? You know, let's, talk, let's talk about some stats. All right. So let's talk about what we know about Georgia real quick. Uh, Georgia's mm-hmm. still dominant on defense. Uh, their havoc rake is, you know, really the the the. I'm going to use some unadjusted stats here, and I'm going to give you ranks nationally of, of for all of FBS one to 120. So you know, uh, one is good, 120 is bad, and these are not adjusted for opponents. So obviously there is some scheduling bias in here, but these are just to sort of give you a feel for the footprint of th- these teams. So UJ's defense is still as every. I mean, this has been talked to death. UJ's defense is. Um, I don't, maybe the best unit to ever play college football. And right now, though, they have a real glaring weakness, which is their havoc rate. Uh, they are they are producing havoc at 20, on 20% of their snaps, 20.25% of their snaps, which is good for a staggeringly bad 18th in the country. That is their lowest ranking on any of the stats that I track is 18th in the country. Uh, the a paltry top 20 havoc defense. It's really sad. On offense, UGA and Kinji continues to uh, improve, actually. 33rd EPA rank, uh, 12th uh, SR rank, 106th explosives rank is actually better than it was. It was like 112th like a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, just sitting in somewhere between 70 to 20 range, I think this is probably a top 30 offense overall. Uh, Havoc rank continues to be a really strong point for this UGA offense, just not giving up a lot of Havoc plays. Fifth in the nation at that. Uh, ninth and pass EPA rank, so maybe that's a, a a that's a check in the you know a check for Stetson Bennett somehow. Um, f- let's see, thirtieth in standard down rank, thirty seventh in pass down rank. So still a very good above average. I would say 
uh, let's see, slightly above average to very above average offense from UGA and, you know, a world-beating defense. So if we look at Florida, how they match up about the, uh, against this, one of the things that's really interesting about Florida is I, I made a couple of radar charts, which you could see if you pledged at least $5 on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve in the... You don't say. Yeah. Huh. If you were so, if you were interested in this, you do say. One of the things that's interesting about the about UGA when when this game when UGA has the ball and Florida's defense is that Florida's defense and UGA's offense are sort of weirdly mirrored in terms of their rankings. Like they're both the thirty third EPA ranked offense and defense, right? UGA's defense or, or Florida's defense does some things really poorly. Like for instance, they're hundred third in the nation in havoc rank. They don't really create a lot of havoc plays. They do some things kind of well. They're pretty good at stuff rate, 30th in the nation, stuff rate rank. Uh they, you know, they stop they stop gains for uh they stop runs for short gains pretty often. 42nd in rush EPA rank, 32nd in pass EPA rank. Pretty good all the way around, right? 32nd in standard down, 41st in pass down. But you know, then they have like 66 line yard rank. So pretty much if they're not stuffing a run, they're giving up three or four yards on it. And mm-hmm. You know, this is a like above average offense against an above average defense, right? And so if that were a matchup that was mirrored on the other side, then you would say like, wow, this will be a close game. And I think it'll be closer probably than most people think. But if you look at when Florida has the ball, I mean, it's, it's Florida does a couple of things at an elite level, right? Line yards rank um, second or their line yards per play 10th in the nation. So they, they're really good at just like getting steady chunks of yardage when they run the ball. They are 13th in the nation rush EPA rank. They're 17th, 17th in the nation standard down EPA rank. So, you know, if they, if they get you ahead of the chains and they're running the ball, they can do that really well. But they are pretty bad at some other stuff. 83rd in the nation in explosive rank. This is not a very explosive offense. This is uh, 10th in the nation in line yards, as I said previously. 53rd in havoc rate. They've given up some Havoc plays, which we've seen consistently, right? 52nd in pass EPA rank. They don't throw the ball well with any consistency. 76th in pass down EPA rank. That's really, I think, that's the long and short of it, right? This is a, Florida is an offense that can run the ball really well, but can't really pass it. Georgia is an offense that can run the ball okay and can really pass it, right? And if that was the only equation, you would say that this would be a pretty easy, even game. And coming into a scenario like that with those priors, you would probably say that UGA is a top 10 team and so is Florida. But UGA still, or Florida still has to play UGA's defense, right? And I think as it has been throughout the year, that's really, looking at the stat footprint of these two teams, it's like, wow, if Florida had to play a defense that wasn't UGA's, this would be a really, really close game. Mm-hmm. But it's a 14-point line on on Monday because they do have to play UGA's defense, right? And that And that's the thing is like, Florida can run the ball, and they they do a lot of very interesting things. Dan Mullen can scheme well. He gets in his bag sometimes, and he runs some fun plays. They you know they've shown some scary stuff with Anthony Richardson on the little pop passes where he fakes the run to the inside and then pops back up and throws it. So they they can do some interesting things, but they just have not been consistently explosive or move the ball down uh, the field very with any kind of consistency. And so I, I think really the footprint of this t- of this game is that like. If Georgia can stop the run, they're going to win. Mm. That's that's what it is, right? If if Florida cannot run the ball consistently, they have no chance because they have not demonstrated to this point in the season that they have any kind of consistent passing threat. And that's not just from the quarterback. 
they have not cons- they have not uh, you know really shown a consistent downfield threat. They've got a couple of like very high rated players who have not been consistent, and their quarterbacks have not been. And I hate to say this word again for like the third time in the sentence, but their quarterbacks have not been consistent at all either. And I think that if you make Florida play behind the chains, if you put them in passing downs, and you rotate in your your light front, and you run you know Nolan and Trayvon and Devonta out there on third down or whoever it is, Nolan and Trayvon and uh, Jalen Carter, like you got to, you can really just put the knife in and like, you can put this thing to bed in the second quarter. Right. And I don't know that I think that's going to happen, but I think if you get weirdly enough, this Florida team is like a more talented, more efficient, more effective version of those old Paul Johnson, Georgia tech teams. If they can make you play their game, they're very good. Right. And they made Alabama play their game for three quarters. Right. And I think they might have something for Georgia. This is their this is their Super Bowl. I think they might make Georgia play their game for a couple of quarters. But if you can make Florida play your game offensively when they have the ball, then you you see what happens, you know, with uh, with the LSU team, the LSU game last year or last week, right? LSU does not have a good defense, but they made Florida throw the ball, and good things happen. So that's like the footprint. I mean. Mm-hmm. The only other thing I would say in terms of like how that matches up subjectively, if you, I feel like there are a lot of paths to a UGA victory here, and there's only like one path to a Florida victory here, right? So, you know, this is the best team that UGA has played since Clemson. But I think if you stop the run and you're UGA and you stop the run, this game's over. If you, if you're UGA and you score on two or three consecutive drives, this game might be over. If you hit the deep ball a couple of times, this game might be over. If you turn Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson over, this game might be over. Mm-hmm. I think if you're Florida, what you have to do is you have to stop the run game, which they've shown that they can do, and you have to make you have to make you you have to put UGA in situations where you can create havoc. Right, that is the path. You have to stop the run, make Stetson Bennett or JT beat you, because you know, despite having, I, I don't think that people really believe in this. Georgia passing defense or passing offense the way that they should. And so I think that that's what they will plan to do. But I think they're going to try to stop the run because that's what they're good at, or they have been before the LSU game. They're going to try to make Stetson Bennett, especially if it's Stetson Bennett starting, beat them with his arm. And they have to turn UGA over. That turnovers, havoc plays, something that you that Florida's offense is not good, or Florida's defense is not good at, that is their path to victory. And really, ultimately, if I have any confidence in this game, which I think is going to be closer than I want it to, and I think is going to really suck for a lot of the time, if I have any confidence in the game, it's it's that Florida's path to victory is through a bad matchup. Florida's path to victory is do something you're not good at against a very good unit, right? And Georgia's path to victory is make Florida do anything but what they want to do. Right. I think if you see a couple of early run stuffs from Georgia's defense, just as proof of concept, you can unclip your butt a little bit personally. And that's, I mean, I don't know. Do you have anything else on these stats before, I, before we move on? Yeah. I mean, looking at the stats, just, I mean, you've, you've covered just about all of it. I'm surprised. I, I'm like simultaneously surprised and not surprised that this team is still ranking, uh, at least statistically, as well as they are ranking Florida, that is. Uh, just because they, I don't feel like they've had a very convincing season. Um, they haven't had a convincing win. They haven't done anything that's like really stand it, it doesn't really stand out, but you're right. Like the looking at these stats, looking at this game objectively, like this is going to be a game that I think will be frustrated at times, most definitely, unless we get ahead and I don't think this Florida team's coming back, you know? Yeah. And so it's 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 definitely 
looking at these numbers, it's kind of sitting here thinking this Georgia defense should, looking at these numbers, they should just shut this offense down. Um, when Georgia has the ball, it's kind of like, what am, I wonder what we're going to do. I wonder what route we're going to take. Yeah, I mean, it's like Florida, if Florida is going to move the ball against this defense, they have to run it. That, that's what it is. They, they, yeah. They have not they have not had the production on the field for a consistent passing game. And, you know, Emory Jones could have a crazy day. Anthony Richardson should, could have a crazy day. But, like, and, and I think they will. I think they'll have more success against this Georgia defense than a lot of other teams have. I think they match up better against this Georgia defense maybe than, you know, say Kentucky. But I, I just don't, I don't think long-term the sort of like the there's like strategic and tactical, right? And at the tactical mm-hmm. level, we can talk about a lot of like plays or things we want to see. But I think strategically, if you're Florida, the problem is you have to play again. You have to basically make Georgia let you play in character. Because if you play against character in your Florida, you haven't proven that you can have success doing that. Right. And, and honestly, like, I think that's really the game. It's like if Florida can come out and do their game plan, they can keep it close, and then it'll just be like who plays better in the third and fourth quarter. If Florida cannot mm-hmm. come out and run their game plan of like, you know, shove it down your throat, get three or four yards of play, and then, you know, pop a big pass over the top of it off play action, they're kind of sunk, right? And so I I don't know. I mean, I, I think that they actually will make it competitive in the third and fourth quarter, but mm-hmm. that's a narrow path. That's a narrow, narrow path. Yeah, man, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be a weird game. Um, what no, what do you want to see, right? Like, if you're if you're watching this game, what are you looking for? Um, I'm looking for. I think this Georgia defense. I mean, this Georgia defense when it's on the field, it commands the game, and that's that's obvious throughout every performance they've had this season. And and just to kind of add a little bit further onto that, and not just make it sound like more noise, it's that this Georgia defense makes you play their game. You know, they they are pulling uh, penalties from the offenses. They are, uh, you know, cutting off routes. They're, they're making sure that they're, they're making these offenses they're playing predictable. And I think that if Emory Jones does start, that is, I feel, the most ideal situation for this Georgia defense. And so um, all that being said, I, I, I just think that this is a game where we can add more points to this defense's overall point total for this season so far if... Emory Jones does start this game. <laughs> or even if he plays later in the game. If if you know Richardson comes in yeah. first, doesn't work out, we see more than one quarterback, we might be paying, you know, we might be profiting off multiple quarterbacks who just haven't gotten settled in this this Florida offense. And so uh, that is definitely something I want to see. I want to see this this Georgia defense continue to to steamroll in that way. Not just like shut it down, but I want them to commanding c- command the game from the start for sure. So what are some other things that you want to see, Nathan? What are you looking for? I mean, I think the number one thing defensively is just you have to have good eye discipline. You have to be looking at the right place. You have to not bite on the fake. You know, I think Florida showed some things, even in a loss against LSU, that you got to be worried about where they would have Anthony Richardson run up to the line like he was running QB power and then just like step back and throw over the top of the over the linebackers who had sunk in. You have to play, you have to play with good eye discipline against this against this offense. And you know, Dan Mullen is a little piss baby, I think, personally. That's just my opinion. But yeah, I think that you you can't discount his ability to scheme up a game. Now, I will say, if you'll recall, there was a time where we were saying that. We, we've said this about a Dan Mullen team before. And I don't know if you remember. There was a Dan Mullen team that we said, hey, these guys are not as good as UGA, but they, you know, Dan Mullen can scheme and they have a pretty good quarterback who... You know, we'll turn the bobble over sometimes, but like he can do some things. And that was Dan Mullen's uh, 
Mississippi State game with with Nitz, uh, Nick Fitzgerald, and they lost to Georgia thirty to nothing. Mm-hmm. Now I don't necessarily think that it's going to be that level of blowout, but I will say that Kirby does. It is worth pointing out that Kirby has a track record of designing a defense that can stop a Dan Mullen team, and he's he did it once or twice against Florida too. So I, the second thing I want to say, see, and that this is less like something I think will happen, and more just something that I want to happen is I I just want to put the knife in, like. I, I don't care if we're up 50 points, keep the first team in. Like, let's score 60, let's score 80, like plow the fields under, like, you know, let the prophecy come forth, break the seventh seal. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, have we scored 85 on this team? I don't, I, what's the highest we've scored? Like, can we beat that by 10? Not yet. Can we score 69 on this team and then score 420? Like, I don't care. Like, don't stop scoring until the game's over. Take three or four timeouts in the fourth quarter if you're up 40. Keep scoring. Like, like plow under Gainesville, the Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, pile the swamp over, sow the fields with salt. Let 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 a not let not a single shoot ever grow there again. I I'm just put in the knife, and when the knife's in, wiggle it around a little. Just wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. For what it's worth, the greatest margin of victory for Georgia in this series is seventy-five to zero. Well, let's see about seventy-six. A. E. Let's make it happen. Do you have some um, other things you want to see? Other than that, I know uh, one note that I actually didn't add is that, um, did you know that, so the over-under for this game is 51 right now, and I just don't foresee that happening unless Georgia scores the vast majority of these points. How do you feel about that, <laughs> that, that just overall prediction right now? So that's like, if it's a 14-point line, right? Mm-hmm. That's like, uh, it's like 30-something to... to 17 something some third like in the 30s to in the teens is basically the predicted score mm-hmm. i i that feels a little generous than me i don't feel like this is what i've been pretty bullish on i've been pretty bullish on uga in terms of covering the spread at times this year mm-hmm. i don't think this is a time when they cover the spread this feels more like a 10 point game to me than a 14 point game i i think that over under is maybe a little high like i could see uga winning this game like um, thirty-one to twenty-one, which I guess that would that would go over the point spread. But I could also see this being like a, a twenty-eight fourteen game, where that also covers shit. A what twenty-eight seventeen game? There we go. That doesn't cover. Okay, right. A, a, a game where UGA is comfortably enough ahead that you're in the fourth quarter and you feel pretty good about it if you can hold serve, but never like totally blows the game out. I don't know, man. I've been bullish all season and I'm feeling good about it. That's okay. Let's before we get too deep into predictions. Do you have some over unders you want to share about how you think this game will head? Uh, yeah, over under. Let's start with this. Over under point five. Anthony Richardson picks. Hmm. I think it's over. If we see him play, it's over. Yeah, I'm gonna say over. You know, and alternatively, you're gonna say over as well. Yeah, I I just think I think if he comes in, that UGA will have something for him. This would be his first start. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like. You know, most teams that have a, a, a you know, kind of a, a, a very green quarterback, they tend to hand the ball off more often. But that is not the case with this team. They are they're whispering to your quarterbacks, just like you said. They're they're you know, they're they're building them up, they're gassing them up, they're trying to get them to throw that ball down the field. But uh alternatively, I have for you over under 0.5 Emory Jones picks. <laughs> oh, over. Uh, slam the over on both. <laughs> yes. I'd like to see them both happen. Be very good for me. What's your next? I would like to say 0.5, over under 0.5 JT Daniels snaps in the first quarter. Specifically. 
Um, I mean, I don't think we see him if Stetson starts in the first quarter, right? If we see him at all, it'll be after the first quarter if he's if he, if if Stetson starts, right? Yeah. Um. So I guess I'm just asking: is is JT going to start? Does JT play? Yeah. Does he start? I I think that this is the game that he has to start. Like, it's pretty bold if he doesn't start because, like, we've you know for the the last few games, it's been kind of like a you know Stetson starting because we're saving JT because we know where the season is heading kind of thing. And if JT still doesn't start. Then that's like that's like big big dick energy, right? Like the biggest dick energy. <laughs> if if this if JT Daniels really does have this feeling, we keep on saying he does, which we we very much believe he does, and the stats back that up. Like, um, I think I'm gonna say over because I can't go with the rose tinted glasses. I will not follow the narrative. I'm gonna say over. It's wishful thinking for me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say under just because I need to like gird myself for the fact that Stetson Bennett very well could start this game. And I think he can win this game for me, for us, but I'm just like, I'm just like, come on, man. Yeah. But I hope that you're right. Uh, I have for you over under one and a half Florida players ejected, ejected for this game. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say over, but if you... It's a rivalry game. If you gave me 0.5, I would probably say over, but I'll say under for 1.5. Okay, you think it's just the one player, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll say, uh, I'll say over, not for the... F- fun of it but for the sake of being different you know against the grain and whatnot and what's your last one let me hear over under 35 uga points scored Mm, i have in front of me i had 35 for uga and then i replaced it with 38 so i'm gonna go over i'm gonna say it i'm gonna say under i think this is this this defense is probably worse than kentucky's what did we score against Mm -hmm. kentucky 31 yeah oh boy um, 30, 30, but. Um, I'm going to say under, cause this feels more like a 30 point game. This feels like a 30 to 17 kind of game, 30 to 20 or something like that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say over, I'm going to say it. That, that is a good, you know, do you want to paint a, a more beautiful picture there for your, your overall predictions this game? Um, well, I got a rant at some point. So like you go first. No, I, I mean, I, I feel good about this game still. Um, I felt good about most of the games this season. Um, many people have reached out and said, "Do you not feel nervous about this game?" You know, thinking about like the last several games, especially against ranked opponents this season. And I've thought not particularly, um, and it's just because this this team has continuously proven themselves week to week. And not that this team is not going to struggle at moments against Florida or against any team any any you know any week during the season. But um, I think this is going to be kind of this will be our statement piece and uh i'm into that i'm very much into that into this this statement piece of beating unranked florida as a our rival and the piss baby himself coach dan mullen uh i think it is a either 38 13 or 38 17 win with georgia oh that would be powerfully good would that be good for you that i would feel good about that um okay you know in my time since my 20s now and now that I'm an old man, even since we've started this podcast in the last five years, I have tried to become a person who exhibits more grace, mm. you know, and and has a lot less hate in my heart. And you know, like I met someone who I think is a really cool person this weekend, who is a died in the wool Florida fan, and hanging out with her over the weekend was a really cool experience. And and I'm glad that she's in my life, but. I uh, I have this problem where, you know, I think 
uh, Friar Lawrence in Romeo and Juliet said that like two opposed kings encamp them st- still in herb as well as man, grace, and rude will. And every time the Florida game starts, I feel like you it's the rude will part, right? I feel like, you know, I'm rude. Now these hot days, the mad blood is stirring, you know, and rude will. Yeah. I, I, I get pulled back in and it's like how much I hate Florida is like a tragedy wherein I am the tragic hero whose flaw is that he can't stop hating Florida. I hate this team so much and I wish that I could control it. And it's not like a cool, uh, like romantic tragedy. Uh, it's like a tragedy with like a, 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 a long kill count and buckets of fake blood and a bunch of names because people think that it's superstitious. Like, is this the world's largest art deal cocktail party? Is this the Scottish play? Like I, I just like, I, I cannot express the degree to which I hate this team. And I think that, you know, the Macbeth thing, I was thinking about Macbeth today. I, w- I want to talk to you about Macbeth. And I think, okay. you know, uh, Dan Mullen strikes me as sort of a Macbeth type, right? He, he took power that really wasn't his, that he didn't really have the stones to take in the first place. And now the only thing that, drive, that drives him forward isn't a desire for more power or to rule or to be powerful. It's to cover up his own insecurities, right? It's to, it's to, it's to gloss over and paper over the fact that he isn't, he isn't good at his job, that he, he shouldn't have had the power in the first place. And he will, he will, he will paste down that paper with buckets and buckets of bad interceptions slash the blood of his enemies. If we want to go to the Macbeth thing. And I've, I've been thinking that, you know, uh, in the same way that Macbeth saw his end when Burnham Wood came to Dunsinane, um, he, he, he had this sense of acceptance about it. And I think you kind of see that in Dan Mullen's press conferences lately, but I think that, you know, he always thought Macbeth always thought that he wouldn't actually die. Right. And I think the problem that, Dan Mullen and Macbeth had is that, you know, uh, we have a Macduff now, like Jordan Davis is our Macduff, right? He was untimely ripped Mm. from his mother's womb. He can kill Macbeth, right? And I think the thing that is going to happen in this game, and I think where we have this divergence in this tragedy of how much I hate Florida, is that the thing that Shakespeare gives Macbeth that we are not going to give Florida is an off-screen death. Because... We we have the production value right now to put that shit in 4K. I think that this is going to be a game where I think Jordan Davis might genuinely like make a Heisman push in this game. I think that really, yeah. I think that this is a game where you have an opponent that's going to try to run the ball down your throat. You have an opponent that is going to try to scheme around you, try to take you out of the play by running left to right. And I think that if it's going to happen. And I'm not saying Jordan Davis wins the Heisman, but if Jordan Davis is going to New York, it's happening right now. And I don't know if Jordan Davis was born via cesarean section, but I feel confident that he is going to put an end to this unholy reign of Dan Mullen. And I, I really think that this is going to be a game that at first, like many tragedies, feels like the bad guys are going to win. And I actually take pleasure in knowing that Florida fans and Dan Mullen alike are going to have to watch the inexorable creep of their own fate encage them line by line as the seconds tick down, the caustic ticking of the clock. And, and it, it brings me great joy 
to think that Florida will be in this game in the second quarter. Because like all tragedies, it's going to end with the bad guy with his head on a pike. And and I'm, I feel pretty good about that. I'm going to say Georgia 30, Florida 20. Okay, okay. I like it. You know, it's it's truly just a work of art, uh, a, a real skill that I've never seen in anyone else where you're able to pull literary references like that and compare it to things that are completely different, <laughs> in no way the same, <laughs> and draw draw these parallels as if they were always meant to be with one another. Um, it's beautiful. Thank you. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I just hate Florida so fucking much. And let me say, like... <laughs> There was this tradition in Jacobian theater where you couldn't kill people. Mm-hmm. It was considered like more dramatic to kill people off screen. And they really didn't do the like buckets of blood thing in the actual Jacobian productions of, well, Macbeth would have been J- early Jacobian, but whatever. Um, and, and the Elizabethan and Jacobian productions of Shakespeare plays, they, they didn't do the buckets of blood thing. They'd been canceled several times for like indecency. So a lot of the death and sex happened off screen. And so you always have these moments where, like, Macduff comes back on stage and he's like, the tyrant is dead. And he has this, like, fake, like, stuffed head, you know? And I was just thinking about, like, what I was going to say about this game. And I was thinking about, like, just how insecure Dan Mullen is and how clear, like, all of his actions publicly are motivated by insecurity, despite being a competent guy. Like, Macbeth is a competent leader whose insecurity drives him into a ditch, Right. And I think Dan Mullen is like a similar kind of guy. And it just brings me great joy that in the intervening 450 some odd years since the original production of Macbeth, 1612 was the pre folio production, but 1606, which was the gunpowder plot, the year after the gunpowder plot, but whatever. Um, anyway, I, I just, it brings me great joy that in the intervening 450 years from the original production of Macbeth to now, that we've evolved technology enough that we actually get to see a football player remove the head of an opposing football <laughs> athletic administration. And I, uh-huh. and I look forward to this moment with great joy and, and just sort of, uh, sort of expectation. Like it's like the advent calendar that I'm counting down right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My God. Would you like to, with, with that beautiful segue, move right into our favorite segment, the Ask CBC segment. It's the mailman segment. Mailman yeah. himself, Stetson Bennett, is going to throw this segment clear over the mountains. You ready for it? Brought to you by USPS. Yes. If it, it'll get you there in time, in amount of time. The very first question I'm going to hit you with, come, these are going to be some of our Gmail questions. So we had some emails coming through, you know, good old-fashioned email. Um, this one is... Actually, this is from Twitter. I lied to you. I have a couple more that are actually getting cut through email in a second. D, at the hell you say, here's an hashtag SCBC question that I've been posing to folks the past couple of days. Are we completely sure Jordan Davis is the best player in the defense? He should win the Heisman, and I won't hear differently, but on a play-to-play basis, aren't there times when Dean or Wyatt or Carter seem like they could be the best player in the defense? I would characterize my stance on this as pretty sure, but not completely sure, and that makes me absurdly happy because opposing offenses have to deal with this every single play. So I think we're talking about relative versus absolute when we talk about best player on this defense, right? So in an absolute sense, in terms of like efficiency and performance over average player on defense, or just in terms of, you know, like expected EPA, EPA removed from an opposing offense, it very well may be that there's a better player on this defense than Jordan Davis. I think that maybe Jalen Carter is probably the best bet for that. 
on a down and down basis. But I think that the thing that Jordan people see in Jordan Davis is that like relative to other people who play his position, he is so far ahead of any other two gap nose tackle in college football right now. And any other two gap nose tackle in the last 10 years of college football. Right. And so that's, I think the thing about him is that it's not just that he like, like Jalen Carter could eventually be Aaron Donald. Right. Or I, that mm. I don't know anything about the NFL, but let's just say theoretically, right. Big athletic defensive lineman. Right. And he, I don't think he is right now, but he could be at one point. Right. Uh, but that would be him like achieving the highest watermark of the sport. Right. I think the thing that people see in Jordan Davis is that there just aren't guys who play his specific position, not D lineman, but nose tackle, you know, who can play one or two gaps, who can do pretty much anything you want at the nose tackle position. There just aren't guys who do that. I think a good, a good, an interesting sort of player comparison would be someone like, uh, like Kyle Pitts or like in Anthony Gonzalez. Um, because both of those guys, Tony Gonzalez, rather, um, I think his full name is Anthony. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, both of those guys were tight ends who like redefined the position by being people that no one else had ever seen someone play the position that way. Right. Kyle Pitts, like it was one of the best tight ends in college ever. Right. I mean, he just, he could do everything. He was basically unguardable at any time. And he changed, he changed what our like sort of like reference points for what tight ends look like are. Right. And I think Jordan Davis is having a similar season, but for the thing that he does as a modern nose tackle who plays against spread offenses. Mm. Next question comes from this is a Gmail question. Greg Boyke. Good afternoon. I love the salutations in the emails. With the discussion of the Works Progress Administration, WPA, that's actually from, that's a throwback, very deep cut from a couple episodes ago. During the Auburn review, and of course your regular attention to EPA, I have to ask, which federal agency would best match each SEC team? Hit me with some of your favorites. I'm going to need your help on this because I'm not like... Yes. I'm not like a civics nut the way that you are. I would say the obvious one is Alabama is the Department of Defense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because they get all they get unlimited money, and they pretty much have like warped the like nature of everyone around them with all the money and power and prestige that they have. I, but I mean that that that's just my first stab. But I, I would take other. So we have um, who has a, a deeper? So we have these are the ones that are immediately coming to mind, like the Department of Homeland Security, um, which I feel probably is going to be one of our. I think DHS is Florida, like because stereotypically, you think so? Well, yeah, because they're like new, they're nouveau rich, right? The DHS is created mm-hmm. in the in the wake of of two thousand one, and similarly, Florida thinks that college football started in nineteen ninety two with the Department of Labor. So, is there anybody that you would? Um, hmm. I think the front leader is like Tennessee, like kind of falling on hard times politically these days. They do an important job. Right, really, uh, really used to be a big, bigger deal than they are now. Maybe, mm-hmm. but even though they probably should be a bigger deal, like it would be better for everyone if they were a bigger deal. Yeah, Department of Environmental Protection Agency, that one. EPA, uh, not a department, but EPA is up there. It's one of those that says, you know, they're always they're consistently yelling. I know we're mush. I want to say I'm pretty sure. I know Greg Boyke is a Red Coat alumni. So first off, you know, uh-huh. once always, but I'm pretty sure Greg Boyke knows like way more about federal agencies than we do. So. We are, con- we are, we are, I think, combining like departments and agencies in a way that is probably annoying. Yeah, that's so fine. I want to apologize. All right. All right. So EPA. Hmm. 
Who are the cops? EPA is like the cops. <laughs> I don't think it's the cops. No, I, I think that the ones that they have, the, they're, they're, they're yelling about something very important, but nobody's going to pay attention until it's right in front of us kind of thing. So is there anybody that is like the future? That's, that's Kentucky. That's Kentucky. There you go. Uh, Department of Agriculture, like Mississippi State. That's Texas A&M. Texas A&M. Texas A&M. Oh, that does make a lot of sense. You're right. What about the Department of... That also makes sense for Veterans Affairs, like Department of Veteran Affairs, because they have a big... Uh, uh, okay, okay, yeah. You know, they might be... Te- Veteran Affairs might be Texas A&M. I think Mississippi State okay. would definitely be agriculture in that scenario. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about the Department of the HUD, Housing and Urban Development? Who's a bigger city? I think Vanderbilt. What's a city school? Probably Vanderbilt, right? I, yeah, I don't think there's any other big city schools, really, other than Nashville. Columbia's a big-ish town. State capital. Eh. Eh. What about who's NASA? <laughs> Not really a government agency, but kind of a government. Yeah, it's federal. Na- NASA is my favorite. They are an agency. National Aeronautics and Space Administration. Mm-hmm. Do you got any space cadets out there? That would be like someone who just does it on engineering and like being a better planner. Oh, that's Ole Miss, right? Just like, oh, yep. Because because simultaneously, it's like there's engineering in the offense, and like they're they're good at planning, but at the same time, it's like strap my ass to a, an explosive rocket and set that shit off. Let's go, yeehaw! <laughs> like, what is a train? What is the lane train but a horizontal rocket? <laughs> just a horizontal rocket. Um, can we say that Tennessee's the, uh, the IRS? We just don't really much care for it. We really don't understand yeah, yeah. what you're doing here. You already have everything we need. No, Auburn, Auburn is the IRS because there's a lot of exemptions for churches in both of them. Oof. <laughs> uh, and what is Georgia? What would Georgia be? Um, perhaps the Department of Justice? I'm going to say Georgia is the DNI, which I believe is the, okay. the Department of National Intelligence. Um, well, let me make sure I tell you. DNI is the Director of National Intelligence, which is not a department, but it is where... A lot of the like intelligence gathering agencies are are gathered under, um, and I think that because Georgia is just a bunch of super paranoid people who are constantly getting in their own way, and who may yep. be super smart and talented, but have had like a series of weird like unforced errors over the years because of their own paranoia. Mm-hmm. What about oh one one last one from from downtown U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service? Hmm. Well, it would be Jim McElwain, but he moved. It would be Florida, but Jim McElwain isn't the coach, right? So, yep. Hmm, who have we not said? Oh, it's South Carolina. They're the Bass Fishinist team. The Bass Fishinist. I love it. All right. Ryan Clark asks, how early is too early to fire a CFP coach? Do you think you should give them a minimum of four to five years to get all of their own recruits in and into their own system? I made a note here for you that, you know, most recent memory, we had Chad Morris and Willie Taggart that both got fired before they finished full two, two full seasons. The answer to this question is that there's not a great answer. I think that you, I think firing a coach midseason is usually the wrong move. It's almost always the wrong move money wise because a lot of times coaches have a de escalating contract in terms of their buyout at the end of the season in December. Uh, but I also just think it's the wrong move because, you know, to steal something from a split zone duo, which is my favorite college football podcast other than this one. Um, you know, you want to give your coach a chance to have a proof of concept to show like, okay, this is what I want to do as a coach. This is how I want to make this program. And here's proof that I can do that. So whether that proof of concept is, you know, getting big wins in a certain way or uh, get, making moves on the recruiting trail in a certain way, 
I think that firing a coach mid-year is counterproductive to giving the opportunity. Now, there are some exceptions, right? Like, pretty clearly, LSU fired coach or, or LSU reached a severance agreement or whatever you want to call it with with Ed Orgeron to avoid him saving a job th- halfway through, right? Like, they didn't want him to win a couple of games and then, like, save his job at the end. But I think, generally speaking, like, I think at least two years, I, I honestly think at least three is, is your... Mm-hmm. In most places that are not like Alabama or Georgia, at least three and three full years, like two full signing classes working on a third before you reevaluate. Because a lot of times UGA has, or a lot of times like you have what's like, you know, what we call like a year zero or what Twitter, college football Twitter calls a year zero, where it's like you're just resetting, right? Mm -hmm. Next question comes from Sambo. I know this isn't the Florida preview, but I just can't help myself. Are they ready? No. He sent that in. No, they are not ready. Last week. Low down, dirty sons of bitches. They ain't ready. <laughs> that one's just for same rents. Next question. Jacob R. Borland, who I mistakenly uh, thought was Jared Booland, which honestly, fair, I feel, uh, who actually helped edit the podcast. And I made a fool of myself in our Discord. But anyway, that's the kind of fun stuff you can have for $1 per month. <laughs> Jacob Borland asks, would you rather fight one Jordan-sized, Jordan Davis-sized Kirby or three Kirby-sized Jordan Davises? Oh, wow. That's hard. That's a lot of Kirby. Is this a, weird, is this a world where is the opponent, like, bloodlusted? Because I want to fight Jordan Davis because I think I have a better chance of talking him down because he seems like a really nice guy. Okay. Like, what do you think you'd say to him to talk him down, though? I think I'd just be like, I'm with the band. Don't you like the band? You love the band, right? <laughs> do you need, I can get you a CD. Like, hey, bud. Like, I, I'm not. Now, if we are we assuming, too, the other question is, are we assuming that this is, like, Jordan Davis or Kirby Smart, the size of Jordan Davis, like, he's Jordan Davis's height, but the same proportions? Like, he doesn't weigh 340 pounds. He's just, like, 6'7 and, you know, 250 or whatever? Or is he? I think. Or is it just like, is it just like Jordan Davis's body with with Kirby Smart's head grafted onto it? I think it's that one more so. I think I'm going to take the three Kirby sized Jordan Davises because I don't want to fight because like Jordan Davis is faster than me. But if you make him Kirby mm-hmm. Smart's height, I have I then have a uh, I have a stride advantage on him, and I can never outrun Jordan Davis normally, right? But I think I have to rely on the fact that he would have little stubby legs. You know what I mean? Could you beat three of them though? That's so many. I'm not trying to beat beat them. No, we're not. Winning is not on the on the board here. Like you're getting your ass kicked either way. It's about running away. Now, if I'm in like the octagon, like I might be able to tire out a Jordan Davis body. Hmm. Maybe if 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 Jordan Davis, if the three Jordan Davises have Kirby Smart's level of cardio, I think I take the three Jordan <laughs> Davises because my cardio is not great, but I know Jordan Davis's cardio is awesome for a big guy, right? So I don't want to try to like attrition fight jordan davis you know what i mean no i would not want it i don't want it's it. not a, it's not a, it's not a good scenario you're gonna lose either way uh question from no eyes mcgee have a DD question what do you recommend for a good guide to learn how to be a good dungeon master i play with my two boys and i do not have a firm grasp of how to do it okay so D. yeah i know you probably have a lot of answers on this and so i'm gonna rely on you for some examples because you probably have better examples than i do so I think the best way to do d- DMing is kind of like dancing or like mm-hmm. it's like playing music or singing where you just have to see it done. And so what you want to do is find an actual play, like a group of people who are playing either and record themselves either via podcast or video 
Um, and I think you just want to find a dungeon master that you like is the key. Like yes. find someone who you are like, oh, I vibe with this guy or girl, and I think that they're doing interesting stuff. And then you want to take your cues from them because that'll allow you to have a style. Like a lot of DMing is stylistic. Like I am a much different DM than my friend Peter, who is a much different DM than Justin, who is a much different DM than anybody else, right? It's all about your your personality and your style. So um, mm-hmm. what are some good sort of like video series and or podcast resources that No Eyes McGee can look at? I would send you towards, uh, so there's a bunch of different podcasts, like Nathan said, like listen listen and watch other people play. Um, that's perhaps one of the the best ways I feel to to figure out what sort of situations can happen. It's also going to be the most time, you know, uh, it's going to take the most time to do. Uh, but we, I really enjoy listening to Not Another D&D Podcast, um, all of which those people have kind of become what is now known as like professional D&D players, which is bonkers to think of that being a profession. But it's basically they're just professional improv artists. Um, I would also say uh, check out Dimension 20. Uh, he, Brendan Lee Mulligan is the uh, DM for Dimension 20. And I think that he has a really great series called adventuring academy where he talks to other dms um, which is a great way for you to also find other dms that are making good content for you to learn from there's also a really really fantastic uh, dm named matt mercer who has also been seen on dimension 20 who has just loads and loads and loads of youtube videos that are all like game master tips and tricks and all sorts of things yeah so i what i will say is uh, matt mercer has a show called Critical Role, which is probably the mm-hmm. longest running. It's like the most prolific I think so. uh, D&D YouTube series. And he wrote a source book, an official source book for D&D to his Critical Role world. So if you're really lost and you're looking for a place to start, an easy way to get into it would be to listen to a bunch of Critical Role, then pull the source book, which would then point you directly to, here's how you do stuff in the world that they're describing. Right? And... Mm-hmm. One of the like issues that you might have with like not issues, but one of the things about like uh, Dimension Twenty and not of the D and D podcast uh, that you might have as a beginner is that they go way off the rails of the pre-constructed modules. So you might mm-hmm. want to try to find. There's some really good examples of like if you find the module that you want to run. Like one of the good ones to start with is Lost Minds of Fandelver. If you didn't know where to start, that's where I would start. Would be Lost Minds of Fandelver. It's pretty cheap. It's a D and D module. It's for level one players. It's meant to like get people through. If you look up actual play, Lost Mind of Feld- Lost Minds of Fandelver, you can then look up people playing the the actual session that you're going to DM. So you kind of know how it goes. And you can also look up what's called a GM's guide. So supplements or modules, modules come out that have like here's a whole adventure. And then if you look up DM's guide and then the module you're you're going into, that will give you more a better understanding of like other DMs, what they would do for advice in your specific situation. I really would lean on the modules at first. All right. How are we like two hours into this? What are, oh, wow. We're an hour. <laughs> no, we're not. All right. All right. All right. All right. We got to keep going. Uh, so Nathan, do you want to talk a little bit about our new Patreon tiers? Because that is going to be a segue into our next uh, quick segment here. Not really segment. It's kind of like a, a middle of the middle of the segment segment. Yeah, so we have updated our Patreon tiers. Earlier, I think we just had before now we just had one and five dollars, and we wanted our Patreon that never we wanted our Patreon to be something that never priced people out. Uh, and so, in order to do that, we had to uh, 
you know, we, we wanted to make it something that people just got on for $1, but it's kind of evolved and people sort of requested, hey, can we have different ways to contribute or whatever? Um, and so to that end, we have updated our Patreon. Uh, we, we've updated our Patreon tiers. So now we have a $1 tier, a $3 tier, a $5 tier, a $10 tier, and a $50 tier. We put in the $50 tier basically under the auspices of no one is ever going to do this. Uh, why would you possibly spend $50 a month on two idiots like us? And then two people have already done it. Uh, and we'll talk <laughs> about what their rewards are here in a second, and we'll get to the segment. Uh, we have sort of split up our rewards. So $1 gets you access to the Discord. $3 gets you the Discord and Patreon podcast feed, which has unedited podcast, uh, unedited podcast, which so you can get like the raw stuff. Uh, let's see. Uh, $5, I think, gets you access to our stat sheets. Everything else plus the stat sheets that we use. We're going to keep CBSR squared, our our predictive model uh, open source so that everybody can see it and we can share it and try to make it better. But our stat sheets where we just like collect data to talk about ranks and stuff, we'll share those at $5. $10 gets you everything else plus access to our live show notes. $50 gets a either an advertisement segment of your choice or you just make a segment for us to talk about. Or just give us a topic. So it just gives you like guaranteed two to five minutes on a topic. So we have two of those. We had two patrons who were kind enough slash dumb enough to get into the $50 <laughs> tier this month. One of them is Abby and her husband, Ben. And then the other one is Stephen Shduin. Before we start their segments, we want to say thank you. We are humbled by your generosity and worry that something might be wrong with you. But we're very happy that you're here with us. So, uh, let, which yeah. segment do you want to start with here? Uh, let's let's talk about Stevens real quick, which is it's a very unique segment. So, yeah, Stevens spent his fifty dollars tier on a an ad for something he's right. very passionate about. Yeah, so it's an ad, but he wanted us to do some, I guess, and he wanted us to do some advocacy for a a organization that he is very very passionate about and wants to bring some sort of dollar, some dollars to and some volunteers to. And we would love if you, you know, I guess in the name of Chapel Velker, but just out of your own uh, kindness would, would sort of contribute to this cause. So we're going to talk for a minute about the Atlanta Urban Debate League, which is a nonprofit organization that provides opportunities for students in underserved Atlanta public schools to engage in competitive debate. If you've never seen yes. competitive debate, picture students talking fast, mountains of research, cross-examine each other over important issues, ranging from climate change to nuclear proliferation. I will say I was a failed debater in high school. Debate is very cool. Debate, mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. the core of the debate training that I received in high school is sort of the foundation on which this podcast or my part of this podcast rests. Uh, my ability to think critically and logically, I think, was very influenced by my time in debate. Uh, so this is a very worthy cause, getting students to do something that's very important to their development going forward. The AUDL provide coaching, after-school activities, competitive tournaments, and summer programming. They serve hundreds of students in the Atlanta area, middle school and high school. Um, you know what? Competitive debates are super fun. Um, they, they, they have a lot of positive benefits. Um, participating in this thing, AUDL, raises academic achievement within school and gives student critical thinking and advocacy skills that travel outside of the classroom. I will just say, if you're worried about your kid, are you worried about how your kid's developing or what kind of home life they have, there is a not much you can do better for them than put them in something like debate, which gives them a built-in sort of like network of friends who have common interests, but also really helps develop them as readers, writers, critical thinkers, and speakers. It is really one of the like sort of pinnacles of 
academic development at the extracurricular level, I think. So what do these people, what do they, what do they need help with, Justin? Oh, let me tell you what they need help with. You know, as somebody that also works for a nonprofit myself, there are a few things we always need. One, it is money. You know, everybody knows that one. That's pretty obvious. Money makes the world go round. Money gets you uh, more people to help spread this thing. And also, uh, there's probably, you know, I'm just going to guess, AUDL probably needs some sort of resources like, uh, you know, generating debate topics year in and year out, maybe training modules, uh, maybe access to these tournaments and travel for their students to actually participate in different debates and those sorts of things. So money does make the world go round. And, uh, you know, instead of buying those things or donating your own things, you know, finances going towards these organizations allows them to actually use that money in ways that are most efficient because they are the ones that are most knowledgeable in the topic of using that money towards that specific goal. Um, volunteers, if you like arguing, if you like debate, if you like uh, you know, supporting children and advocating for kids, then this is probably, in my opinion, a great way to spend your free time if you have any. So um, I think that those are they're really great ways. They said they, they also need volunteers to judge debates. So if you don't really feel comfortable maybe guiding or providing guidance for students to help in these sorts of things, um, or even being a chaperone for that matter, you could judge debates, judge the children, go out. Go out to the Atlanta you know, Urban Debate League and judge these children as they argue with one another professionally amongst their peers. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Um, real quick, Nathan, lightning round. You ready? I just looked up Yeah, a debate topic generator. You ready? We're going to debate. All right. All right. I'm going to click new debate topic. Boom. Children should provide room and board for their aging parents. Go. Well, we have to assign pro and con. Yes. Oh, well, we have to decide who is on what side. <laughs> You can't just, you can't just like, have you never done this before? All right, ready? College should be free. Go, debate me. Okay, yeah, college should be free. Boom, we're both pro-college. This is not how it works. Too many people attend college in my country. Oh, shit, that's another one, back to back. Oh, man, we really need Atlanta United debate. (laughs) We really do, apparently, because you do not understand how this works at all. Hold on, let's try another one. Aliens are real. Yes, I mean, my, I mean, per the per- Fermi paradox, it is most likely yes. Uh, actually, I was in debate club uh, and model UN and mock trial, and so yes, I'm I'm very well versed. This is for the sake of radio. It's good radio. Damn it! You're just a dick. <laughs> Check out urbandebate.org and find a league near you. That's an ad, baby. Yes, support this excellent program and not Justin. No, do not support me any longer. But continue supporting me so I can help support you. Let yes. me use my platform for good and not evil. <laughs> yes. That's a good ad. Yes, absolutely. We did a good job. I don't think I don't think we embarrassed them. Let's hope not. All right. So our second segment is for Abby and Ben. Abby is I'm I mean, I don't want to say our biggest fan because we love all our fans equally, but let's be honest, Abby's probably longest tenured. Our our longest she is the dean of CBC fans. So mm-hmm. her and her lovely husband, Ben, who has ironically gotten on the Chapel Bell Curve Discord and just played games and basically ignored everything with football, and good for him. Uh, they've come up with a segment, and this is a question from Ben for, uh, for us. What is the most interesting character generation process in a video game role-playing video or role-playing game? Go into examples and even tell a story if there's time. So I have one. I don't want to put you on the spot, mm-hmm. so I can go first, if you would like. All right, so... I'm going to use a role-playing game system. Now, I want to say before I do this that this is a role-playing game system that has not aged well. 
Uh, it's one of these things that came out in the 80s, and it's fun as a – well, there's two. I'll give you two that are kind of related. They're, they are both fun as sort of exercises, but A, the, the rules aren't that good for either of them to actually play these games, and B, they, they kind of like have some like uh, some content in them <laughs> that are like, mm, are we going to talk about rape? Are we really going to do that? Right? So just caveat. But the two that I would mm-hmm. say is one is uh, Central Casting. Central Casting is a role-playing uh, role RPG character generator that is ag- it's system ag- agnostic. It does not require any uh, – it, it doesn't really point itself to any particular system. But what it is is a series of about, I think, like 5,000 tables. And you start at the first table, and you roll on subtables and indexes and different tables that are attached and nested tables. And you can tell the story of a character's life – down to like, who is their cousin? Why does their cousin owe them money? What boon did they get for the cousin for forgiving the debt? And then you have that for every extended family member. Like you roll how many family members they have, and then you roll like a full life story for every family member and how that relates back to your original character. If they get a job, you roll for their tenure, and then how did each year of their tenure go? And then within each one of those years, what was a significant event? If they serve in the military, you learn... What rank did they achieve? What were the two or three separate units they were a part of? And then what battles did those units fight in when they were not in, like, historically before the character joined? It is a process that, Jeez. if you are doing it short, takes about two or three hours. It is, it is, a, it is madness incarnate. Um, now, a similar role-playing system from the 80s is called Mutant Epoch. Again, don't play this game. It's bad. It's not a well-designed game <laughs> in terms of it, – it's, it's not. In terms of actually like playing the game at a table. However, Mutant Epoch has a really funny character creation system wherein basically the idea is that like the Earth is irradiated, right? And everyone who survived is a mutant. But they're not like a sexy storm mutant. They're like a like I have two eyes and I can barely move one of my arms mutants kind of thing, right? And so – Basically, what you do when you play Mutant Epoch is in the character creation, which also takes several hours. Not like it takes several hours to make a D&D character because you don't know what you're doing. Like, if you know what you're doing and you're doing it quickly, it takes two or three hours to make a Mutant Epoch character. But during the process of creating your Mutant Epoch character, about 30 to 45% of the time, the character dies. Because they have too many irradiated mutations, and then they just die from the radiation poisoning or from, like, having being so mutated that their body can't support life, basically. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, it's messed up, dude. But both of those are, are horrible games that are so fun to play. Like, one of the things that uh, Peter, my work spouse, and I will do whenever we have an extra day, like, at the end of class for an honors – like, the end of the end of school year after the EOC – Got an extra day. You got all these honor kids show up. We make central casting characters and we just skip over all the parts that are kind of like meh, inappropriate or whatever. And we just re-roll. But like just making one central casting character can take like 30, like the whole hour and a half. And I have had many students who wrote, who like wrote down everything we said about the central casting character and then uh, made like fan fiction based on that central casting character with them as the, as the main character or whatever. And Mutant Epoch is also just a fun. Mutant Epoch is like a drinking game. Making a Mutant Epoch character, it's like watching a horse race where you're like, oh, is he going to make it? Oh, oh, he died. <laughs> Damn it. And then you like do an uh, It's really fun. My poor irradiated baby never had a chance. I'm trying to think of any video games that, that really stick out. I think the ones that I've had the most fun with, honestly, like 
way back in the day, the N64 uh, WCW wrestling game, like man, oh man, the character creation in those games, like you really, all you you did was like you could take a character and you could, um, or maybe it was the WWF, WWF one where you could take your character and then you could, they it was like the very early stages of like, take your picture and put it on the character because uh, this was like the early aughts. And so you could, what you had to do is you had to like either email or send a picture in one way or another, like fax a picture, scan a picture to this email address. And then it would like upload to the intranet that they had, the WWE intranet or whatever it was. And then it would like just like plaster itself over your character's face. And then you could add like, how they danced and how they moved. And it was all basically just another actual wrestler that you attach to your now like terrible looking, like your face just juxtap like awfully spread over uh, this, <laughs> this model's face. It was incredible. That's so um, good. And it was just like, you know, you could do the same thing with uh, like the NCAA 14, that kind of thing. And yeah. I really enjoyed being able to be like, uh, you know, Ronald McDonald has now, he's the the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bearcats for the sixth year in a row somehow, and he just keeps winning and winning and winning. <laughs> uh, and he's just this monstrosity. But uh, any sports game with the character customization has always been very fun for me. Just the 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 fantasticalness of it all is always very fun. Yes, and so that's a little bit of that. I think that that is the, not enough debating in that segment. I'll say there was not. That was that was pretty straight up. I think that's probably probably needs to be it. Right, we're like an hour and a half in. We yeah, I think so. We have we have plenty. We're burning the midnight oil about this time. We got mm-hmm. plenty of, plenty of good material for for our listeners. So we do. Do you want to do the outro? Do you have a a poem a poem for us to go out on though? Oh boy, yeah. <clears throat> this is so, John Powell. John Powell is asking for it. Everybody thought you you probably thought, man, if you're listening to this point, why? And second. <laughs> You probably thought, "Oh yeah, I've heard the last Shakespeare reference in this, um, in this, in this podcast." Right? We've gotten past it. We had this extended Macbeth thing. He dropped a bunch of random Romeo and Juliet lines, like without acknowledging them. We're probably done. No, sir. I would say not today. Henry V, Part One, Act Four, Scene Three. <laughs> this is the Saint Crispian's Day speech, and we are going to read it because this is the most inspiring speech in the history of white male uh, pump-up speeches. And this is, a, this is a good one because this is a game where if we have to die to win, then so be it. So Henry V, someone has just said, if only we were one of thousands of men who were back in England instead of racing off against the French, right? It's this, the Battle of Angiers and it's like, you know, 5,000 French, 1,000 Englishmen. That's not what it is, but it's like five to one, they're outnumbered. <laughs> and one of them says, if only we were one of 10,000 men back in England today. And he says... What's he that wishes so? My cousin Westmoreland, no, my fair cousin. If we are marked to die, we are enough to do our country loss. And if to live, the fewer men, the greater share of honor. God's will, and I pray thee, wish not one man more. By Jove, I am not covetous for gold, nor care I who doth a feed upon my cost. It yearns me not if men my garments wear. Such outward things dwell not in my desires. But if it be a sin to covet honor, I am the most offending soul alive. No faith, my cause, wish not a man from England, God's peace. I would not lose so great an honor as one man more, methinks, would share from me for the best hope I have. Oh, do not wish one more, rather proclaim it, Westmoreland, through my hosts, that he which has no stomach to this fight, let him depart, his passport shall be made, and crowns for convoy put into his purse. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. 
This day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand up, stand a tiptoe when this day is named, and rouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall live this day and see old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbors and say, Tomorrow is St. Crispian. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, These wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot. But he'll remember with advantages what feats he did this day. Then shall our names, familiar, familiar in his mouth as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester, be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son, and Crisp and Crispian shall never go by from this day to the ending of the world, but we shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so vile, this day shall this shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves a curse they were not here, and hold their manhood cheaps while any speaks that fought upon, that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. Boom. Cold read. Read the outro. <laughs> Boom. God, I love this stupid podcast. <laughs> uh, this has been obviously a sports football, a football sports, you know, sports ball podcast. This one's uh, called Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, pretty much anywhere else you can find podcasts. If you want to get in touch with us, you may do so on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve, email chapelbellcurve at gmail.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at Chapel Bell Curve. If you enjoyed today's episode, which I'm sure you did, please leave us a rating <laughs> and a review on any of those podcast uh, podcastiers of choice. If you uh, love today's episode even more than that, if you just wanted to, how else do I show my love? I've already rated and reviewed it. You can join us on Patreon and uh, join this little little group of folks that uh, continues to grow and show their love in many, many ways. Uh, you know, Going forward this week, we'll catch you in Jason Mendoza's hometown of Jacksonville, and uh, maybe you'll see Blake Bortles. But until then, go, go dogs. dogs.